everyone. Welcome to Party Like a Marketer, the podcast dedicated to cannabis marketing, public relations, and authentic storytelling. I'm your host, Lisa Buffo, founder and CEO of Cannabis Marketing Association. You can connect with me on Instagram at LeeBuff and on Twitter at LeeBuff21. I'd love to hear from you. Today's conversation features Luna Stower, Chief Impact Officer at iSpire Vape Technology. With the master's from USF and a BA from UC Santa Cruz and nearly two decades of cannabis experience, she's known for her role in launching several California legacy brands like Jetty Extracts. An internationally recognized industry expert, Luna is featured on B2B panels, podcasts, summits, and consumer expos, and was named Cannabis Culture Advocate of the Year in 2021 by the Cannabis Chamber of Commerce. As a renowned thought leader in drug policy, Luna blends her knowledge of consumer markets with the passion for social and plant medicine justice and has been instrumental to local decriminalization measures and first-of-its-kind social equity initiatives. She serves as a judge for the esteemed Emerald Cup Awards, Mila the Hash Queen's Dabadoo Global Hash Competition, and HQ's Masters of Rosin Spanibus Cups. Learn more about her at lunastower.com. Luna, thank you so much for being here today. Thank you so much for having me. It's an honor and a pleasure. So I've known you for several years now, and we've had lots of conversations about cannabis marketing, the good, the bad, the ugly in the industry. Um, I've known, we've known both of you, uh, I've known you, you've known me through a few different roles, and we've seen marketing evolve um, in our local markets and nationally for a very long time now. So I'm excited to have this conversation with you and talk about the state of cannabis marketing um, and get into some insights for our audience as well. But first, can you introduce yourself? Tell the audience a little bit about Luna, who you are, um, how you got started, and then iSpire as well, and what the role of chief impact officer is. Yeah, so I'm really lucky to work at a company like iSpire that really values, um, you know, social justice and environmental initiatives. It's something that's really important to our hearts personally and in an industry um, where we're using electronics and a lot of disposables and things like that. We really need to be conscious of that. So um, as impact officer, I'm doing initiatives like trying to launch um, right now in Oklahoma. We're working on a recycling program for uh, cartridges and disposables. Um, and I go around the world on panels from Germany and Spain to just got back from Atlantic City and Oklahoma City, um, you know, speaking on everything from consumption education to equity and social justice in the space to advocacy of plant medicine decriminalization, um, policy and compliance, um, all the way down to just good old fashioned history of cannabis legalization in California and how we got here. So I'm really lucky to be able to have moved, you know, I was VP of business development, moved into this role and really I'm able to embody all the things that I really care about and are sacred to me in representation of this plant in the mainstream. And when did you get started in cannabis? Well, I've been, I'd like to say that I was in middle school because that's when we were smoking it and selling it. Um, everyone around us was growing it. So, you know, 1996, I was in uh, sixth grade and we just had access to, you know, the brownies and the stuff from the clubs that was coming from older brothers and sisters that were picking it up. And it was never considered a drug in our community. It was always just something that was around just like anything else. We saw um, alcohol is way more harmful. And so I was really lucky to go to UC Santa Cruz and um, get involved in Students for Sensible Drug Policy. Um, and got into the drug war um, consciousness uh, through the ACLU um, and different um, activities working in prisons. Um, 
worked in, in several different prisons around the Bay Area and in Santa Cruz and jails, um, really working on pre and post relief release services. And it really made me realize that the youth is where we need to go for these interventions. So I got into public school teaching and I taught for about a decade in middle school and high school, um, English and Spanish, and really got to, you know, see firsthand the impact of the war on drugs on the communities and on the children's and the, and the schools and the systems. So, um, you know, decided- And that was in the Bay Area? Yeah, so Berkeley and Hayward were the main places that I was teaching at that time. So very, you know, these are urban areas with a lot of immigrant students, low-income students, and um, you know, single-parent homes and um, lack of generational wealth and things like that. So um, as we say in Oakland, there's million-dollar blocks where the government's spending a million dollars to incarcerate people, but if they had spent a million dollars on programming for everyone on that block, that we'd be in a much better place. So. Um, yeah, it got me to Jetty Extracts in 2014. They hit me up. They, you know, saw me at different clubs with uh, different, I was repping for different brands and they asked me to come on. So I ran sales for them for five years, uh, did a little bit of marketing and then decided to leave and do my own thing and started a marketing um, business myself, which I think you guys are the first panel I ever sat on in Oakland, the CMAs. Um, it was really, really nice to kind of be in a room of other marketers who understood how important storytelling was around this plan and the kind of stigma that we have to deal with um, and all the stuff that all the hurdles that we have to jump over and and loops we have to loopholes we have to find to just do basic business. So through that experience, I learned everything about retail, manufacturing, oil making, hash, testing, um, and ended up at iSpire, which really allows you know folks to have access to good hardware to put their oil in. So it's been a wild ride, but really the through line is you know plant medicine advocacy and really pushing the needle on normalization and removing the stigma so that we could treat this like a medicine, just like everything else. And you're from California? Yeah, born and raised right here in the East Bay area. Awesome. Just in California. And Jetty's a California brand. So your your yes. lens as far as how you were brought up in this space is California, but more specifically East Bay. Absolutely. Yeah. So we're based, iSpire is based on, on Venice Beach um, in Los Angeles. So I get to have a little bit more of that insight now too, of how things run down there. Cause it really is like a different state altogether from Northern California, culturally, yeah. and financially and everything. That's very true. So, and you've transitioned recently from business development at iSpire to chief impact officer. So tell me a little bit about some of, so you said that the through line there is around plant medicine and storytelling. Can you explore that a little bit more for me as far as um, what that means for marketers and how that impacts the industry? Like what, what would be the number one piece of advice you would tell cannabis marketers based on your experience and everything you've learned between Jetty and iSpire and in these various different roles? Um, it's kind of a holistic approach. It's like, you know, have a really strong why, believe in it, have people on your team that believe in it. Don't just patchwork together something that you think would work for cannabis. You have to have real roots people, real suits people coming together and figuring out kind of how to professionalize. So the core and the DNA of your story and of your brand and of your service or whatever value proposition you have needs to be really solid to its core, where if something happens and there's bad weather, everyone's still grounded to, we work for this mission and this, this vision. Um, and then from there, a lot of transparency and authenticity through how you roll that out, how you show up, that you have high integrity, that you make good relationships, that you're not just um, utilizing um, certain kind of fad marketing to try to get some clicks and then not really following through that authenticity and transparency around how you operate really builds trust. 
And we're seeing that, you know, a lack of trust in the marketplace is, and lack of loyalty is harming brands. So I would say that's a, you know, that's a big part, you know, moving through that and then to close it up, um, you know, really making sure that as you're moving through the space and you do have a name that you hold that responsibility very highly. Uh, we had a case yesterday of, of, of a hash brand with almost half a million followers, um, probably a million followers between their multiple pages. Um, posting um, a really demeaning photograph of a woman or being used as, a, as an object um, in, in context of an advertisement uh, for this for this ad with, you know, just a off color caption um, and then defending it in the comments when people were saying they were offended that this was misogynistic, sexist marketing. A lot of upstanding women in the industry were really offended by it. And there was a lack of um, accountability and maturity in the response, which, you know, the cannabis industry is really good at calling people out, but then calling people back in saying that this is something we don't like, but we recognize that we're all in this together. We're all a cannabis community. Let's see if you could do better. And then when people continue to double down on really bad behavior and really offensive, um, you know, kind of visual harassment when it comes to when you're on your feed and you're following a company that's otherwise considered a somewhat respected brand in this space. Um, it really prevents people from feeling safe who are in this space. This could be an off color. I mean, that same brand, you know, repurposed um, a civil rights leader's speech to compare it to cannabis rights. And a lot of people were concerned about the belittling of the African-American experience and things like that. So when there's a pattern or you're, you're getting feedback or you're trying to push the edge on certain things, read the room. Um, it's 2022, using sex to sell, um, memifying things that are insensitive. Um, I'm not trying to be the PC police or like the cannabis Karen, but at the end of the day, we're really tired as women in the space seeing um, very low vibrational um, content used to uplift our voices or supposedly uplift this plan in our voices. It's not, it's not a healthy representation. So I'm really grateful that, you know, at iSpire, we have a lot of women on staff. We have a lot of folks of color on staff. We have people in positions of power and decision-making that have, um, you know, a good heart and a good sense and are coming from a good place um, and want to make a positive impact um, and not use bullying or, um, you know, kind of schoolyard humor to get likes and clout because in this space, we really are very sensitive to that and you will get, um, you know, kind of blacklisted in some ways from working with people if they feel like it's a liability, a cultural liability and a business liability to be associated with a brand who is um, ended up having to delete that post. And I'm sure that that social media manager no longer has a job because the insensitivity around that kind of stuff can really harm your brand in an irreparable way. Um, and we really need to be careful about the devil being in the details with some of these things that we're doing because we are an activist space we are a gatekeeper space and we are very sensitive to being abused and misunderstood. Um, and so we're, we're watching. And I think it ties in nicely with what you said about having that core mission. Um, and that sets the culture in the tone too, is when you have that core mission, when you have those core values and the company, therefore you're hiring accordingly. And, uh, the, that messaging is what the brand puts out, who you're hiring, who you're bringing on can be more consistent because it is rooted in a culture and a mission that is aligned that if these basically reduces the chances of these things happening. And if they do, they would be considered outliers, but there's a lot that you can do before that happens. Um, and that, that is rooted at the top at leadership and the way they set the tone through how they communicate brand, mission, culture, and values, which then does translate to marketing and marketing messaging. Product aside, 
So what are some of the ways that brands can do better in this space? Like, how do you, how do you take um, a mission, strengthen it and make it, make sure that your team knows and that your marketing team understands that message so that it can be communicated? Or if you don't have one, how do you start? Like, what would be your advice to brands that are just getting started or maybe haven't fleshed that out and are growing where it is important to consider these culture aspects now? So my question is always, you know, what brings you to cannabis? Because if you don't really have a story, I haven't seen many people succeed in the space who don't have a story because this space is too volatile to not be extremely passionate about and want to give your entire life to. This is a mix of a passion project, a hobby, our social lives, um, our financial security, our career paths. This is not just a job or vocation. This is um, something that we, you and I, I know for a fact, and most people watching here in the cannabis industry spend, you know, 50 to 70 hours a week focusing on this and really just going to sleep and eating in between. We, we don't ever sleep and don't, don't take a break from this. So if there, if you haven't fleshed out a why, I would seriously reconsider being in the space. We have a lot of brilliant um, people who you can work for and with, um, you know, who have a good story that resonates with you as you build your own story if that hasn't come yet. But um, I think that for people who really want to have their own brand and have a brand voice, really having people at the table that are stakeholders. So if your brand is oriented towards young men and you only have, um, you know, older men on staff, um, you know, have a younger person on staff. If it's geared towards middle, you know, middle-aged women and there's no middle-aged women on staff, make sure that these people are kind of in the room helping make decisions so that um, when things do come up and something is kind of off color or doesn't resonate, you'll hear in a safe space from someone who's your internal colleague and say, you know what? I have some friends that I don't think would like that very much. Or, oh, that reminds me of an ad from someone else that really like upset a bunch of people. And I don't, I, you know, I don't feel comfortable being behind that. Or, um, oh, I have a someone that I know who does PR. She's another woman in the industry that I've worked with and bringing in other brilliance through having these networks that are not just the good old boys club that continues to bring in people that look like people that are already in the space. I think that that's the most important thing that we can do is really hire decision makers that have skin in the game that, um, have been a part of this movement and this culture uh, since before it was an industry. And if you're not doing that, you're really leaving a big part of it behind. Agreed. And so you're the chief impact officer. And when we're talking about brands, brand values, culture, mission, all of that, part of that is the partnerships that you make and the way you sort of extend your hand to others in the industry. So can you talk a little bit about really what your role as chief impact officer is and what what it is you do, like what are those um, partnerships that you're making? And then how does that, how and why does that benefit marketing teams and the company as a whole? Absolutely. So the most recent thing on my mind is Oklahoma City um, and, and Atlantic City. So one was an academic um, conference at a panel or a, a, it was a panel at an academic conference at Stockton University. They allowed consumption on site. There were deans, provosts and professors present. Um, at actually, the university? Well, 
Yes. Like consumption guess, on campus? Oh, I consumed on, on stage at an academic conference. They, oh wanted, they wanted me to teach about dabbing. So I did. And we had a full dab bar on the campus. So it's called Canademics. I highly recommend it. Um, so That's that was name. wild being, you know, kind of like being around all of these other movers and shakers in New Jersey that um, haven't been exposed to dabbing, haven't been exposed to the kind of hardware that we make on the, you know, cartridge and disposable side. So, um, you know, that always helps. Like my moderator is a pharmacist who's also um, a cannabis business owner who's opening up a retailer he was my moderator when I was dabbing on stage we get off stage and he's like I would love to carry your stuff when we open up little things like that that just help um you know and we're not even doing it from a sales perspective people just want to work with us so Oklahoma as we're doing these collection boxes for the uh, recycling program there's a little branded box that explains the mission it explains where to find us it let, allows you to drop it into a locked box to maintain compliance um, and there's a little, you know, a, a cheat sheet that shows you all the different elements that are inside of a vape pen, how they remove it, how they remediate it, upcycle it, recycle it, scrap it, and otherwise responsibly dispose of it. So we're able to not only do the right thing in that sense, but also educate people on what they don't know. Some people don't even think about their disposable objects being um, going into landfills. And so now you've made folks aware of something um, and it sparks a conversation with them in the bud tenders, the, the buyers are more conscious about the amount of cartridges that they're selling, the quality of the cartridges they're selling. Um, maybe brands have to up their cartridge um, standards because they want to make sure that the leaks and the failures um, go down because they're continuing to see returns. That impacts the brand and the retailers. So really raising the bar on the on the side of you know making sure that whatever does go out there works all the way through its life cycle and is able to be dropped off. On you know that's a promise that iSpire makes as far as you know cartridges that come from our facilities, but we'll collect and recycle cartridges and disposables from anywhere. So um, it really just allows an opportunity for a dialogue around how we're, you know, responsible for the things that we're consuming. And I don't know if that conversation is happening that often. And the response was overwhelming. I mean, I know in California, we've been talking about doing cartridge recycling since I got into the industry. I've been selling carts for almost 10 years now. And it's been the bane of our existence. Anyone who's socially or uh, environmentally conscious, you know that, you know, it's 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 not an ideal um, use and, uh, and life cycle for a product. So I think that those are the kinds of conversations and relationships that we're starting. There's no other real cartridge hardware brands in the United States that show up at things and have conversations. Um, so people are, they might use some of these other big, big name brands, um, but they've never really really met their rep. They're, um, you know, they're overseas and they don't have the same hours or the same language. And so to have that bond with legacy farmers and, and producers and say, hey, we got you, we're going to help you, um, you know, launch this brand and customize everything or to a retailer, like we got you on really good terms, like really helping equity applicants um, with, you know, really strong financial terms and um, making sure that they could get off the ground and really being friendly and financing things that um, otherwise wouldn't have a chance to move forward. So in every possible way, that we can, we try to really bring the legacy and the people who brought this industry to the forefront um, into the fold so that they're not left behind. So impacts can mean a few different things as far as, you know, helping out, um, educating in that academic sense, you know, for you and the niche that I aspire is in, recycling and life cycles, obviously a big one, um, as well as encouraging partners and, you know, those you work with to, you know, help along the the supply chain and the spectrum effectively in cannabis. Um, I want to talk about the recycling part a little bit. What what is iSpire's mission? Like to what is that core value? What is what is that mission for the company? 
So ours is um, to bring premium life experiences to people. So we didn't want to limit it to cannabis. Um, there's a lot of other interesting things that are being vaped in the world that we might want to get into. And um, so really, it's just about raising the bar. Um, that's why our whole new brand um, is or our brand statement is this way up. It's aspirational. It's looking to the next thing. We've always been innovators. Our founder, um, who started Aspire Vape, was the first to patent the vertical coil vape pen in 2009. We have over 2,000 global patents and really um, created the basis for the sub-ohm coil, which creates the large uh, vaporized smoke in or the vapors that you've seen in the e-cig space. Um, so we always consider ourselves innovators and pushing the line in disruptive um, tech. So for us, that could look like anything. So it's gone into the induction dab tools. It's gone into the hardware side and the batteries and the way that we ensure that there's, there's really smart devices. Um, we're moving into authentication and verification where there's actually um, RFID chips on each one that says the ideal heating temperature um, and really making sure that everything from seed to sale is really responsible. Um, you know, GMP certified, ISO certified, uh, you know, manufacturing spaces to make sure that there's no, um, you know, problems with manufacturer dust or, um, you know, metal, heavy metals coming into when people are doing their COAs. Uh, we're really looking at safety and everything that we're using from the packaging and the packing um, and the lightest footprint with, with uh, logistics as well. So really it's kind of something that we overlay onto every part of our business. When we talk about customer service, how we answer our DMs, we have a voice that we use. We use like a, you know, like a calm and, but you know, it's like, we're the warm hearted rebel with a cause. That's, that's what, that's our voice. And so we, we have a little bit of edginess. We're fun because we're into dabbing and vaping and we're in the cannabis space. So there's that kind of, there's that, that plug life, that nod to the, to the, yes, we are selling a controlled substance. Um, but then there's that really like that patient educational, not demeaning, not holier than thou. Um, Cause that's how it could be in, in the, in the dabbing space. It's very kind of top down bro-y, like if you know, you know, kind of like the more obscure things, the better. There's like a little bit of elitism because we have seen a lot of harm in that space of people trying to come in and sell snake oil. So um, I think that that's the biggest thing is really reading on how are we making an impact in every single element, um, even just the way we treat internal employees, the way that we celebrate each other, um, the way that we support each other. I mean, I start every sales call every week with deep breathing exercises and a meditation, and we focus on a, one of the four agreements that we want to think about that week for ourselves. Um, for folks who don't know, the four agreements are just kind of agreements to live by around, you know, not taking things personally, always doing your best. Um, being impeccable with your word. And, um, you know, it's, these are things that we're trying to do personally as humans in our company and for the industry and for the world. So going back to that concept of what are you baking into that DNA of your company? How do you guys talk to each other? How do you communicate with each other by, you know, written communication? You know, how are you celebrating each other's wins? How are you supporting each other through, through, through downfalls? This is a very roller coaster industry with a lot of sad stories. So the people that are the closest to each other, that have the strongest uh, connections within the company, that really shines through when there's when there's a dis, uh, disconnect internally. The, the voice gets watered down. There's not like this beating, palpable beating heart of passion behind what's coming out. That's what helped us build Jetty Extracts. We were so passionate about the shelter project and giving away free cannabis um, to severely ill cancer patients that no matter how crazy the internal politics got, we were like, we work for this. We work for, we know what good work we're doing. Hundreds of patients are getting free medicine this month. Um, we can put all the, the petty, you know, disagreements aside. 
we are doing God's work. This is an important thing that we're doing. We have an amazing impact on the world. And it kind of lets you zoom out and remember what the greater is, because this is not a normal business. This isn't just an insurance office that you could go work at another one or, you know, normal water cooler talk. Like we need to come into this as if we were, you know, working in a nursery with babies, you know, like you want to have energetic hygiene and you want to treat everything as, as, as if it's precious because we have one shot at doing this right. And we've seen so many times how it's been messed up. So it's on all of us as marketers to really help clean it up because no one knows anything about us if, uh, unless we're advertising it. We don't have a PSA uh, or a PR company for the plant. No one's educating her on, on her behalf. It's the business owners that are doing it. The educators are not self, or the consumers are not self-educated. They wait for us to do demo days. They wait for us to put out podcasts. They wait for us to put out movies. We had ended up being the stewards of plant medicine education, but we happen to be business owners. So um, it's, it's a big responsibility and with great power comes, you know, a lot of pressure. So don't mess it up. Yeah. Just, just be conscious, <laughs> be conscious. Don't do things unconsciously. Don't just take whatever you did in your last job and copy it and paste it here. It will not work. It's a different paradigm altogether and you will get rocked. Some things are good, you know, best practices from other places. Trust me, cannabis needs some best practices from other industries, you know, around organization and data collection and things like that. But you know, you really got to have your head on right. And this is not something that's going to be a get rich quick exit focus thing. If you're coming in it because you want to make money, this is not the place for you. Yeah. So, and it's clear, you know, that mission really well at Ispire and that it's, you know, ingrained in all the things you do. So starting with the, the core values and those missions, and then those partnerships that you're making and the way in which you handle your relationships with your distributors, um, all ties into this concept of having good, um, good messaging, good, strong branding, but really a knowingness and a why for why you're doing what you're doing. Yeah, and exactly. then that can translate into all the content you produce. So whether it's marketing specific related content, like a social post or blog post or something internal, like your meetings, um, all of it is tied and related. Exactly. Would you like to connect with industry experts like Luna? Join the community at Cannabis Marketing Association and learn from hundreds of experienced cannabis marketing pros. CMA's extensive members-only content library includes dozens of webinars, tools, and downloadable resources for cannabis marketers. Attend twice-a-month workshops and masterminds, ask questions in the CMA Slack channel, and access exclusive member content and networking events, all included in your membership. Learn more at thecannabismarketingassociation.com or email info at marketingcannabis.org to connect with our team. Awesome. So I want to talk a little bit about some um, lessons you can take away from any adversity you faced in the industry. So we all know that, yes, it is a hard industry. A lot's changed and um, it, it's a grind at times. But can you speak to some of those harder times and specifically some lessons that you've learned? Because a lot of this is makes sense in practice, um, but it's not until you really get your hands in there and start to stumble yourself that you're like, okay, now I get it. Um, and I've had plenty of those myself, but any like lessons or stories you want to share about um, either adversity you've faced or something you've tried and then learned from uh, that has helped inform your approach today? So I'll start from the lessons and go back kind of to the why. Um, be well capitalized. Um, lawyer up. 
And by lawyer up, I mean a lawyer that specializes in contracts, um, have a really strong blend of roots and suits on your team. So legacy people who understand the plan and know the people in the industry and people who have really strong um, skills with, you know, pro formas and financials and spreadsheets and all that things that, you know, you typically not, not always, but typically, you know, legacy cannabis operators don't have, um, you know, that level of training in some of these, um, you know, financial expertise. So, um, those are the biggest thing. What I've, what I've noticed is that people get into it with, with passion and their passion drives them ahead of being, of it being realistic. And they put themselves in really precarious situations where they have a hundred grand and they invest it all into their packaging. And then the DCC changes the font size from 11 to 11 and a half and you're screwed. Um, there's, there's, you know, a million dollars a year being spent by companies just on holding on to a, you know, physical uh, space and location while they're waiting for the for the for their licenses to be processed. So the kind of marketing spend, um, insurance spend, lawyer legal fees just to even get a seat at the table to pitch your idea is before your business is even on the ground running and your doors are open and you have product. So I hate to say it; it sounds very prohibitive. There's obviously um, some, you know unique social equity opportunities, but that's still very hard to get qualified for. And even if you do qualify for it, there's no capital. There's usually not that many deferred loans. Uh, you know, there's not that many incentives, also no training on business. So you might be really excited. I find two things. I find the overexcited and underprepared. And by prepared, I mean capitalized, having lawyers, having a solid business plan that has proof of concept. Um, you know, that that piece of it, um, or you have people that are really well capitalized, have the lawyers, have the expertise and have no idea what they're doing here, how they're going to be here. They they discredit and discount the brilliance that's already existing in the space. They think that they can come in and do it better, like it's petroleum or alcohol or tobacco. And they have this really, really strong arrogance around being able to be successful because they've done it in other places. So you either have the blind optimist or just the entitled, um, you know, well-capitalized person that just kind of had, uh, you know, historic success. So you kind of need to have both. You need to have people on your team that can draw in those resources so that you're not pulling last minute investment from your families at Thanksgiving to make it through to the end of the month to keep your lights on and your payroll going. Um, it, it is a schedule one drug. There is no necessary necessarily plan or timeline for descheduling or rescheduling it. Um, they're banning, you know, they're trying to ban, ban minor cannabinoids that are hemp derived like Delta eight that, that are psychoactive. Um, you know, legalization in California was just tax control regulate, and it actually criminalized way more things than we ever had before. You can grow less plants in your backyard. An open joint is now considered an open container. The VA is now, you know, being more punitive than they ever were. So we're actually rolling back in a lot of ways in, in all these different markets that I've been in. Everyone's saying that we're going back in time. We're going back uh, as far as licensing caps, the people who have access to get licenses, the cronyism and the stuff that's happening around licenses on the back end. Um, and also it's just hard to do business. You can't bank. You have no 280E um, you know, tax deductions for your payroll. Um, you can't get people- And marketing and advertising. Mar yeah, anything yeah. that even touches the plan. If you, yeah, because you guys get your checks from marketing from, from marketing companies. So good luck refinancing your house. Like if you are ready to literally be living like an outlaw and have every single institution from Facebook to your bank to the CHP telling you that what you're doing is wrong and you could lose everything for it, that's the kind of stomach that you have to have to be if you're going to be plant touching. 
obviously as an ancillary company, we have the benefit of not having to deal with that. We've still had our account shut down for accepting funds, but I can still, you know, operate, we can still operate semi normally, um, you know, as far as normal, you know, business write-offs. So that's something else to really think about is it's, you know, if you don't have that kind of capital, get really good at pitching, you know, there's reach out to Lisa or I, we have, you know, we have uh, a lot of resources for helping you guys get a pitch deck together. We can look over your business plans and let you know, you know, what's going on. But I, I worry, and this is not to discourage anyone. This is to save people, ask people to really contemplate what they're willing to do to be in this space, because it is a marathon, not a sprint. And the people in your life have to be supportive of it. I have an amazing supportive partner that watched me transition from teaching into cannabis. And he watches the dogs when I'm at trade shows and he's, you know, has to hear me on calls all day. I'm rarely available for my family because I am on a crusade to legalize and normalize this plant across the world. And it's a real commitment that you have. And when you're in cannabis, you get kind of blacklisted from a lot of other industries. Like there's uh, some people that wouldn't work with Redman um, and Snoop Dogg because they use cannabis in their songs and wouldn't not use it on stage. And they've had to say no to a lot of corporate sponsorships and things. So um, it does harm you in some ways and help you in other ways. Obviously it's exciting to be in the space. Everyone wants to talk to the person in weed. You know, I was just at my 20 year high school union. They're all fascinated by it. They're all excited by it. Um, but I don't know if they would necessarily want to drop their kids off at my house. You know what I mean? Even though they trust me, they know I have a master's in teaching. I'm probably great with kids or something about you're a dabber. Like there's this, there's this underlying distrust of people in cannabis because it's still considered vice and it's still illegal. And until we deschedule or reschedule it, we are never going to be anything but the black sheep that have to be looking over our shoulders and making sure we're really smart and have really tight security culture so we can cover our asses. That's a good point. And um, so now that we've talked a little bit about adversity, what are some things that you've seen work from a marketing, advertising, or sales perspective? Because I know sales is a little bit more your lens, but what are some of the strategies you've seen that work that are either unique to cannabis or you've seen um, work from other industries or other verticals? Networking, networking, networking. Everyone loves an event. Everyone loves stoner movie nights at the theater. Everyone loves weekly uh, clubhouse meetings. Be present, own a space, be the person who does, you know, the, you know, we've rented out random places, you know, mini golf places and uh, motels with pools and thrown parties there. Uh, we've shown up at EDC. We've shown up at different places that yeah. have nothing to do with cannabis and we do cannabis pop-ups. Um, be present, just show up, have that guerrilla marketing where if you hear something happening, get involved, um, you know, be a sponsor at different events, shake hands. People will only recognize you and trust you if they really see you out on the ground and, and making an impact on people. That's what we've seen at iSpire for sure. That's true. And I'll definitely validate that um, as far as this industry be, being very relationship driven and trust driven based on those relationships where a lot of it is that hand to hand. Who do you refer? Who do you trust? Who do you work with? Um, because there are a lot of folks who kind of come in, try, you know, it, it doesn't work for them and then they leave. And, you know, sometimes the, the clients they work with are kind of left holding the bag. So I would absolutely network that or validate that as far as networking um, and getting to know folks for sure. Um, okay. So what is one thing you wish that you knew about cannabis before you got in? Like what, what kind of took you by surprise once you got in? <laughs> um, I think all the things that's actually kind of, uh, dovetails into what I was just saying about how how hard it is. I think that um, we knew that regulation was going to put a squeeze on things, but I didn't realize that we would have three major extinction events that have left less than 10% of operators alive. So that's been the crazy. Are you speaking of just California? Just California. 
And what are those events? Can you speak to that? Well, the first one was um, when the the first dive hit after when they found out that Prop 64 was happening. Um, a lot of people kind of were scrambling to kind of get their stuff together and they couldn't in time. And then there was another one when metric hit um, and people couldn't get compliant, uh, fully compliant. So they were compliant as far as licensing, but they couldn't get compliant as far as their packaging. So there was another that was in July, the following year after it went into effect. Um, and then we ha ha are having, a, we're in our third one right now related to the general um, economic decline. And also we had a false spike during COVID of the people made projections mm -hmm. on, um, built their businesses around. And um, it, it was just a spike and came right back down to pre-pandemic purchasing um, behaviors. So we're seeing the third major one now, but almost almost no one who I started out in the industry with is still, is still standing. Um, yeah, I've heard even just this week, I mean, epic, legendary, first to be first to market brands with, you know, clones in stores that were the number one clone company. They've just became insolvent. They're going under um, in labs are going under. Um, this is just yeah. When I say extinction event, I'm not trying to be dramatic. It's like the economic definition of um, mass mass closures um, due to overregulation, overtaxation and incompetent control. Yeah. And are you seeing a difference in California than the some of the other states you visit or markets that you work in? Um, I would say we definitely are cool. We definitely export cool. We are the culture setters. We are, <laughs> you know, that like we're, we're high vibe. We try to keep, you know, healthy. We're outside. We're like the hiking kind of culture. Obviously there's, you know, more of there's different kinds, but something that's unique to us, I think is that California cool, that kind of LA surfer, um, Yosemite hiker, things that kind of, uh, raise consciousness a little bit more like we call it Cali sober people who just use cannabis and maybe some mushrooms or psychedelics but not other you know not other substances of just kind of speaking to um you know wanting to create peace and harmony um a little bit the softer side of cannabis I think that you know the growers the regenerative organic uh outdoor cultivations that are sweeping emerald cup and um all of the genetics that are being sold around the world to places that are winning you know Amsterdam's high times cups those are all you know U.S. or you know California genetics a lot of Colorado cultivations that got started those were all you know California growers with their genetics going out there and helping them get set up so we export a lot of our IP, a lot of our genetics, a lot of our um, culture, and really, you know, Frenchie Cannoli, who lived here, he taught everyone how to make, you know, temple balls and hash. And even if you're, you know, not really traveling outside, people come to us and we also share via media and music. Um, and I think that that's the most special thing about us is that no matter how regulations go, um, they're still not going to be a cultural capital for cannabis like California in the world. It's just never going to happen. We have, in my opinion, the best weather, wine, weed on the planet. And I've been to 40 plus countries. I've been to over a hundred trade shows in the last year and a half. Um, and it's Oh my still gosh, that's a lot of trade shows. I know it's wild. <laughs> and I was also curious, you mentioned this earlier about the differences between Northern California and Southern California. What are some of the things that you see what's difference between those two markets and how, and can you make that tie to marketing and advertising? Like, are you seeing, uh, speak, answer that however you want, but like, what, what else are you seeing that's different as far as either how the brands are um, being positioned or being marketed? Well, you've got a little bit of NorCal down in SoCal with the Woods dispensary that opened up in West Hollywood uh, by Woody Harrelson and some other folks um, that felt feels very Northern California. And I say that because 
They only work with um, regenerative agriculture and small artisanal farms and brands that are women, people of color or other otherwise equity owned. They don't allow plastic displays. Everything's wood and moss and really beautifully um, curated. Um, that's kind of more how it is in Northern California. It's more about sustainability, uh, more about innovation and uh, a lot more loyal. Um, I find that in LA, we call it kind of the custy market. It's kind of whatever's cool and flashy, whatever's trending on social media. There's not a lot of brand loyalty. There's a lot more tourism down there. So you've got people coming in from Vegas, from San Diego, from Mexico, just kind of coming in, you know, over the border and, and around other parts of Southern California going into the LA cannabis scene. Um, and really kind of, it's very much about the, the brand presence and the, and the cachet and the hype. And, um, is it, you know, is it, is it catching on globally? Um, Northern California is very much, uh, focused on, um, you know, more of that terroir and that appellation of origins, like where was it grown? If it was grown in humble, um, you know, you can't say have humble in your name or Mendocino in your name, unless you're, you know, completely produced out of there. Like they've changed certain laws around that because people were hearkening to that cool that I was talking about and trying to leverage that in marketing, but they didn't have the soul. So um, I think that that's a lot of it is, you know, there's a lot more money opportunity and movement and volume happening in Southern California, a lot more excitement and buzz. NorCal is way more insular, way slower, way lower volume in a lot of ways, but, and lower basket sizes. Um, but the conversations that we have up here, the consciousness of the general consumer, um, you know, it's just a little crunchier. It's a little bit more conscious. They want to know the story. They care that it's, um, you know, you know, grown outdoors, whereas down in Southern California, indoor is what's, is what's popular. Exotics is what's popular up here. It's more of what the effects are going to be, what the terpene profile is. They're not strain hunting as much. Um, in NorCal, as you see in some of the in some of the Southern California shops, I might get some hate from Californians for saying this because I'm totally oversimplifying. But I really, I mean, when I was working for Jetty Extracts, I managed both NorCal and SoCal, and literally even just the way you communicate with them, like buyers in NorCal would answer emails, buyers in SoCal, none of them would answer an email. These guys would get offended if you texted them late at night. These ones were texting me late at night, so. You know, this is just years of experience and I love them both. They're just, it's just like, you know, they're different speeds. And I think that they're both so special and I could, they couldn't operate without each other because NorCal brings down the product and SoCal sells it. SoCal is the plug, NorCal is the product. They have to work together and they've worked together really beautifully in a lot of ways for, for over, you know, two and a half decades. And so I'm really proud of our state. Um, as far as operators go, we've done the best. We've tried to jump through the hoops. We've given out our addresses. We've signed all the paperwork. We've given up our firstborn child in all of our savings accounts. We're trying to do it right. And it's been metric in the DCC that's completely sabotaged us. So I know that we've done our best and I'm extremely proud of all the operators in California in both traditional and regulated markets that are continuing to survive and get this medicine out to people um, despite really, really problematic regulations. And uh, what are some ways, uh, we're coming up on our time here, so, but what are some ways in which you can, brands can differentiate? So we know how crowded it is. We know how busy it is. How can you stand out in this space? Elevate voices that matter and stories that matter. No one wants to see another picture of you smoking at the beach. Everyone smokes at the beach. Everyone gets it. It's fun to smoke at the beach. Like maybe you guys organize a beach cleanup. Maybe you do something like 
use the platform that you have in the community you have to do good. And I always say love is lucrative. You can do good and do good. You know what I mean? Like you can do good and do really well, actually. So what I've noticed is the way that people work in this industry is by networking. So alliances, for example, the Fairchild events, um, the, the Flamingo Hotel said yes to our party after Hall of Flowers. Now they rescinded it because they're worried about consumption and things like that. They got together with an alliance of other of other people and made it in a new spot like overnight. Like we are just like the plant. We are a biodynamic being that works really well with other, you know, beneficial plants, animals and insects around us. And to try to imagine you're in a silo and not be part of, a, of an organization of, you know, if you're in beverages, do that. If you're a woman in cannabis, join these beautiful women's organizations. There's a million I could name that are all badass and beautiful and really supportive of, of women growing in the industry you know, get, show up and be a part of that and show up early, help them set up, help them. Or, or if you show up late, help them break down. You know, if you show up and you really are, are really making an impact, that's, what's gotten me so far in this space is just being a genuinely good person who works for the plant first. I love, I aspire. I love Jetty Extracts. I love the people that I've worked for. I have not a bad word to say about anyone um, I've worked for in the industry, but at the end of the day, I don't work for them. I work for the plant. I work for people and they, 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 uh, buoy me and 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 support me to do that work with their support and their name. And that is the most important thing, right? You can have the dream, but you need the, the resources behind you. And so find the, find the places that have those resources that share your dream and build with them because it's a rocky road. And the more um, diversified your network is when something pops up and happens, oh, I got a guy for that. Oh, I got a girl for that. I've got someone for, for, for each issue that I have because I've been on the ground. I've seen them. I've talked to them about their dream about their struggles. I deeply listen to my clients and my colleagues and my cooperators. I don't call them competitors. It's cooperation. Um, you know, the other people around you, your cooperators, like what, what's the, what's the issues that you're seeing? Um, how can I help you? And just be of service. Like servant leadership is something that we um, are lacking in cannabis because of this survival mode, this fight or flight that doesn't put us in creative problem solving and support mode. So that's the biggest thing that I would say is reach out, do good work. Um, don't be afraid that it's off brand for you to do some social, something social justice related. Everyone's looking for companies that are tied to a cause and a purpose right now. So if you're not doing it, you're actually already behind. And Luna, what is any last piece of advice you would give cannabis marketers or our audience listening, as well as any contact information you want to share, whether it's website, social, either for yourself or iSpire? Yeah, just something that I learned at the CMA summit that I went to that you guys put on, which is still, I've been telling everyone my favorite event I've been to, hands down. Like, not even BSing. It was such a beautiful summit. I learned so much. And one of the things I really learned was about on social media, like really moving away from these platforms that are blocking us into, um, you know, the Twitter space, the LinkedIn space, the discord space that are open, um, not using hashtags, things like that. Like don't, don't put all your eggs in the Instagram basket. Um, that that's something that I think is really important for all of us to think about is how can we tell our stories on our own websites and lead people back to our products and our story and own that traffic instead of just giving it up to meta who um, really doesn't want us on their platform. And they've made it very clear. I mean, I've been shadow banned for four years. Um, you have to type out my whole name, which speaking of which is Luna underscore Stower. 
Um, but yeah, you can find me at lunastower.com, getispire.com, and I'm happy to be a, a resource for anyone watching. Um, you can email me at luna at getispire.com or DM me um, or hit up Lisa and we can hop on a call. I'm totally down to be of support. I want to make sure that all the pains that we've gone through and the landmines that we've located, you guys don't have to, um, you know, navigate on your own, that we're really here to support you every step of the way, because we want you here and we want you to survive and thrive. Luna, thank you so much for joining us and sharing your story and these insights. I'm really excited to get this out to everybody and you heard her, please feel free to reach out as well. And thank you so much. We appreciate you. Much love to you all. Thanks, Lisa. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Party Like a Marketer. Follow us on Instagram at Party Like a Marketer and on our website, thecannabismarketingassociation.com. Check out our website for more details and membership information. We'll see you next time.